0: Well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Borchain. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, right here at Colorado Springs, and I'm so excited that you are tuning in. We are continuing in our study of the Book of Revelation, Revelation chapter twenty today. As you know, on Saturdays we've introduced a new roundtable format. So if you're tuning in on Saturdays at 1.30, you know we, would, we will have, most likely have a guest and talk about some of the issues that are going on in our community, around the nation, ultimately even around the world. And I hope you've been encouraged by that particular program format but here on Sundays we're continuing in our expository teaching since we are a Calvary Chapel church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley and we're in Revelation chapter 20 and we're right now getting into the study of the millennium And this is an exciting study. I know you've been through some challenging material already. The book of Revelation is filled with all incredible kinds of content of praise and worship, but also an understanding of the judgments that are forthcoming and that becomes very difficult for us to process because we can't imagine the magnitude of these kind of judgments even though we have seen through the history of these many nations and world events uh some some the magnitude of the scale of wars that uh, are just even hard to understand even today but yet when we look to these future events we understand that all of this is by God's design ultimately to purge the earth, to prepare it for the coming reign of Jesus Christ for a thousand years in this period of time known as the millennium, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And this is Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 15. Last week, we were talking a little bit about the just the What occurs after Armageddon, after this great battle and series of battles that covers the land of Israel and wars that have been going on all around the globe, Uh, but this 200-mile battlefield, if you will, that stretches from the Valley of Megiddo uh, all the way down to modern-day Jordan and uh, and in Ezekiel 38 to 39, that gives us a little more detail about that. And then after this battle, even after Zechariah has told us after Jesus Christ comes down to the Mount of Olives, cracks the mountain too, comes through and, and, and enters through the eastern gate uh, reserved for him as he enters through it. And, and even these individuals who are there that are battling against him, I can't imagine. They're battling against Jesus Christ, and they dissolve even as they're standing there. And then the rest of the battlefield takes some seven months to clean up, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, So it's, it's quite a traumatic series of events there. But we know that it's in preparation for something awesome. And the Bible gives us a lot of detail about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to put our eyes on because the it's an unbelievable magnitude of these the series of battles that takes place right before Christ comes can really drown out our love and desire to read the book of Revelation uh, because of that overwhelming sense of uh, of exhaustion and the magnitude of the intensity of of what 's described there of these these kings rising up against Jesus Christ in the battle that ensues thereafter. And and we're told by Christ in Matthew chapter 24, 36, that no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. In Matthew 25, 13, he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So we have to be in a posture of readiness. Well, let's talk a little bit about this millennial reign. Now that we've talked a great deal about Armageddon and some of these battles, and if you missed any of those studies, you can go back to calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. You can listen to the prior broadcasts there. There's at least 100 programs there that have been archived for your benefit to to listen to those, share those broadcasts. You can also watch the sermon series on this uh, study of Revelation as well. So I hope that's all a a vital tool for you to use, to share, and, and to even do small groups with. Uh, but here, let's again get into this. This thousand-year reign of Christ is going to be a time where the faithful followers will be celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. It's It will be a time like no other. When people say the best years are ahead, that's absolutely true, And and we know that God is faithful. So let's just talk about what I'm going to give you just a little bit of bullet points here today on some of the overview of what the millennial reign of Jesus Christ will look like and then over the next couple of weeks we'll we'll take it apart even further and really drill down into this because again as we look at the 18 books of prophecy not just the book of revelation and I and I say that tongue and cheek not just but because the book of revelation is powerful but since over 70% of it is an allusion a l l u s i o n an allusion to The Old Testament, drawn out of the other books of prophecy, the expectation is that we've read the other books of prophecy to understand the full context of what the end of days looks like as we're in preparation here. So the thousand-year reign of Christ Jesus begins after the destruction of the beast and the false prophet the fall of Babylon, and the binding of Satan. There's a number of scriptures on that. You spend a great deal of time in Isaiah specifically, uh, especially Isaiah 60-66, to 66, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36-48, to 48, Micah 4, Zechariah 14, the list goes on and on. So all the nations are going to bow before Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All the nations will bow before him, Matthew 24, Philippians 2, Psalm 22, amongst many others. Uh, Jesus and his believers, they will reign then for a literal thousand-year period of time as kings and as a royal priesthood, we draw that from 1 Peter 2 9, amongst many scriptures throughout the book of Revelation. And Jesus will reign over Israel and the whole earth, according to Isaiah 2 and Zechariah 14:9. So he, he is ruling over the earth. King David, as we understand, will be designated as a ruler over Jerusalem specifically according to Jeremiah chapter 30, Ezekiel 34 and 37. So there's a number of verses to cite that, that David has a specific assignment during this thousand-year reign, as do we, as a royal priesthood and kings for Jesus Christ under his authority. Ezekiel will talk a little bit about this as well, that he assigns that God... Uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord, it actually assigns a priesthood of like a supreme court. That this royal priesthood that that rule or or serve alongside Jesus Christ out of Jerusalem will act as a supreme court for Jesus. If they can't uh, solve these particular issues, they bring it before Jesus Christ. It's incredible how that's outlined there in the Book of Ezekiel. Now the exiles of Israel will return to the land of Israel, according to Jeremiah chapter 30 and Isaiah 27. And as the king of Israel, the Lord is going to gather all of these exiles from around the world. Because we talked about this last week, that even if a a half the population, if we take that number from the judgments that are falling upon the earth during that seven-year period, that, say, if 4 billion people have lost their lives as a result of the magnitude of those judgments, you still have over 4 billion people or thereabouts still remaining on the earth, most of them non-Christian, right? So say say there's 2 billion left because the Christians are with the Lord, and they come back with him in victorious fashion. Say there's even a billion. That's a lot of people that uh, still have to be sorted through and 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 designated into these with rulers and so forth. So, assigning us as a royal priesthood makes sense. Uh, because there are people groups that uh, need to be led. And it tells us that we'll even go up to worship the Lord Jesus Christ there in Jerusalem as our assignments of bringing people to worship Jesus Christ. So uh, he gathers all these exiles from around the nations, according to Isaiah 11. And the Lord beckons the Gentiles, in fact, to bring the Israelites back to the land, according to Isaiah 49 and 60. The land then becomes filled with people. And and we even see that the Dead Sea becomes fresh water and people fish there. There again, Isaiah 49 talks about the land being filled in Ezekiel 36, and then there's a new covenant established. Israel is forgiven, according to Jeremiah 31 and Zechariah 3. And all of this happens in a single day, according to Zechariah chapter 3. So there's a new heart, a new spirit, and God's spirit is with them, poured out upon them, according to Ezekiel 36. And Isaiah's righteousness, or excuse me, Israel's righteousness, make sure I say that correctly, it's seen by all of the nations, according to Isaiah 62.2. So the world is truly at peace. We've been clamoring for peace, and they'll be clamoring for peace before the coming reign of Jesus Christ, of which the Antichrist will give them an artificial sense of peace and an artificial peace treaty with israel that he'll break three and a half years into it so the world hasn't known peace and here under jesus christ it will Uh, peace with the nations and wildlife so it's not just with the human populations but with animal life as well according to isaiah chapter 2 and 11 jeremiah 30 ezekiel 34 and micah 4 3 let me just read to you isaiah 11 6 to 9 he says the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb "...the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf with the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and a cow and bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw." Like the ox, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now Jerusalem will be secure. It won't be destroyed again, according to Jeremiah chapter 31 and Zechariah 14. And its name has meant the city of peace, which I think that's the irony in this, is it'll finally know peace, despite the fact that it's been attacked 52 times, besieged 23 times, ransacked 39 times, and destroyed and rebuilt three times, and recaptured 44 times. So this city has known anything but peace, and now it will finally know peace. Peace And the land around Jerusalem will be transformed, as I mentioned in Zechariah 14. Jerusalem will be raised up amongst the nations, very similar to what we saw during the days of Solomon. And now it will be known and will basically be the capital of the world during the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, according to Isaiah 2, Zechariah 14, and Micah 4. We're told that the river flows from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea and to the Mediterranean Sea, according to Ezekiel 47 and and Zechariah 14, that the rivers will change the Dead Sea to fresh water with fish. As I mentioned before, Ezekiel chapter 47, and that fruit trees of all kinds will line this river for food and healing for all the nations, according to Ezekiel 47. So all the cities will be rebuilt. Jerusalem will be rebuilt specifically. All the inhabitants of the cities around it, they will rebuild. Foreigners will even rebuild the wall all according to Jeremiah 30, Ezekiel 36, and Isaiah 60. And Israel specifically will become prosperous, productive uh, trees and crops. It'll be a lot like even the Garden of Eden. And all of this is covered throughout Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Isaiah. The wealth of the nations will come back to Israel. But humanity, there'll be unbelievable health for the peoples of the earth because here the Lord has now provided trees and sustenance for healing and for the the, the really the, the sustaining of flesh, perhaps like we've never seen before, or at least prior to the time of the flood, uh, because we see Methuselah who lived to nine hundred and sixty-nine years of age, according to Genesis five twenty-seven, and we're told that life will be extended greatly during the millennial reign. I mean that makes sense, right? That under the Lord's system, he will create an earth that has proper justice, that we have proper agriculture, the right kind of foods distributed, and here along these rivers will be the right kind of trees that grow to provide this sustenance. And so we're told in Isaiah 6520 that a person one hundred years of age will still be considered a child. So someone who's only a 100 years old will be a babe during the millennial reign because of the life will be so extended, in addition to the fact that immortals will be with mortals. Those who have already gone up into the clouds with Jesus Christ, we're told that he gathers them from one end of heaven to the other, come back in glorious fashion with Jesus Christ. The, the wedding feast has already happened. And now these individuals are, who have been faithful to the Lord are assigned as a royal priesthood unto the Lord to faithfully serve him. And it says the, de- the second death has no power over them, i.e., they're immortals, and living with mortals who have long, extended life. They still have children and long life. Very similar to what we saw, again, before the flood. Like I mentioned, Methuselah living to 969 years. So, one strong biblical theory in this is that God shifted, now listen carefully, this is one theory, but I, I do, I like where this one goes, that uh, God shifted the polar axis of the earth during the flood. That's one. Key theory that I think has some, some viability to it. In this caused some cataclysmic devastation that wiped out all life on earth. Massive environmental changes where we see woolly mammoths that were frozen with food still in their mouths. Instant fossilization of plant and animal life. And followed by this climate change that reduced the age of men where Methuselah lived to almost a thousand years to where men hadn't, haven't lived over 120 years since. And we know that God would make that decree in Genesis 6-3. Some say that, well, was he making that decree for the duration until the ark would be built and the flood waters would come? Uh, Moses would ultimately become the first patriarch that lived to one hundred and twenty years, and that was seven to eight hundred years after God had made that decree uh, according to Deuteronomy thirty four seven Now some say again that genesis six three was speaking of the number of years that it would take to build the ark and and ultimately before those flood waters would occur. Uh, but I challenge that because what we look at the, when we look at the math it 's about seventy five to ninety four years to actually build the ark, not one hundred and twenty years, so yes, it still could relate to that it also could be a decree from God. That no man would live at uh, more than 120 years. And we certainly see that with Moses as the first patriarch not to live past 100, at, right at 120. And no patriarch thereafter uh, would live past 120 years. So we see a dramatic drop in the lifespan of humanity. But yet during the millennial reign, that all changes. Men start to live very long lives once again under a healthy environment, healthy food, healthy economy just as God would establish it just as he did uh, for the tribes of Israel as well even teaching them agriculture and and various uh, crop rotations and so forth. So uh, God knows what he's doing. Now the the flood lasted as we know let me just take you down this trail a little bit here because the flood lasted for 40 days according to Genesis 7:17 7, but the flood waters prevailed and and didn't begin to recede until after 150 days according to Genesis 7:24. And then Noah and his family didn't leave the ark for 377 days. So they entered the ark seven days before the wa- flood waters began, according to Genesis 7-4. And then another 370 days would go by, according to Genesis 8-13. And Peter, the reason why I bring that up is because Peter uses the flood as a comparison with regard to the end of days before the coming of the Lord in 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 4 to 9. And even Christ used the flood as a comparison in Matthew 24, 36 to 44. Rather than using Sodom and Gomorrah or Egypt, he specifically cites like the days of the flood. So it, very interesting that Some believe that the cataclysmic events of Revelation are potentially impacting the polar axis as a result. So what we see of these dramatic climate impacts of the judgments of Almighty God may be in very similar proportion to what we saw during the time of the flood, that during those 370 days, the 377 in total, that the earth completely changed— and and thereby impacted man significantly after the flood. Look what was happening during these judgments of the Rev- book of Revelation. I'll recap it for you. The sun goes black, the moon becomes red, earthquakes and stars fall from the sky. That was the seal number six, Revelation chapter six, verses 12 to 17. Then we see a third of all the trees and vegetation burned up, according to the first trumpet of Revelation 8, 7. A meteor-like object strikes the Earth and destroys a third of the ocean life and the ships, according to, to Revelation eight eight to nine. That was the second trumpet. The third trumpet was this asteroid-like object that destroys a third of all the fresh water, according to Revelation 8,10 to 11. Then we see light from the sun and Moon and stars all diminished by a third due to some atmospheric changes, possibly, of Revelation chapter eight verses 12 to 13, which was the fourth trumpet. And then everything in the oceans die, according to the second bowl judgment of Revelation 16, 3. All the fresh water is corrupted, according to the third bowl judgment of Revelation 16, 4-7. Men are scorched by the heat of the sun, almost like fire, according to the fourth bowl judgment, Revelation 16, 8-9. Darkness then covers the land as a result, Revelation 16, 10-11. That was the fifth bowl judgment. And the Euphrates River dries up as a result from the sixth bold judgment of Revelation 16, 12. There's massive lightning storms, earthquakes that devastate the whole world. We're told told that no mountain or island will be left unscathed, that they will disappear according to Revelation 16, 17 to 20 from the seventh bold judgment. And as a result, we end up with these massive hailstorms that are so large that each hailstone weighs some 75 pounds, According to Revelation sixteen twenty one, which was the seventh bull judgment. Now this all sounds like one of those Roland Emmerich movies. If you've ever seen The Day After Tomorrow, uh, two thousand twelve, or even Geo or some of those, they they seem to be entertainment nowadays, where we plop down with a bucket of popcorn and enjoy these, uh, you know, cataclysmic judgment type movies. But this is the reality of the Book of Revelation of telling us about these cataclysmic. Events which all seem to highlight or align with the uh, this theory of a polar axis shift that would create a global flood during Noah's time, this axis being changed, uh, 23 and a half degrees, and very similar to what we would read here in the book of Revelation, that something significant happens because, as a result, men start to live long lives again, and, and everything changes. The climate changes dramatically. So what did the world look like from Adam to Noah? we don't know was there a canopy on the earth that in- enabled mists of the earth to to come up and water the landscape that's kind of what we're told in Genesis chapter 2 verse 6 and it created this tropical climate environment well a polar shift would have caused this climate to change rapidly so so today we have this this, you know, not this kind of climate that uh, was described here in the Bible, at least from the days of Adam to Noah. Uh, and we certainly don't have a canopy that's around the earth right now. Uh, so you could still have these cataclysmic events without the flood due to a polar shift. So if God intends to shift the polar axis or tilt the earth by even 23 and a half degrees, that kind of devastation would be expected like we're reading about in the book of Revelation. But like the flood... God brought hope on the other end. And that's what we see through the thousand-year reign of Christ Jesus, that after cataclysmic events wipe out the earth, and then we have this family preserved in the ark, and new life begins. We seem to see this with the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, that although the world has gone through great devastation, it's setting it up for something new. And the world will be changed, ultimately, as we could see this even for a third time, uh that it would be blessed, new springs rise up, the skies are cleansed, water purified, the land restored. Uh if these polar if the axis were changed twenty-three and a half degrees, we'd see that the seasons would be the same everywhere without radical temperature changes. The climate would be balanced, there'd be twelve hours of day, twelve hours of night. The weather would be stabilized without tropical storms, extended life with more lush and sustained environments, sustainable even for crop rotation. So I believe the climate will change, but not as a result of all these carbon emissions of men or by whatever excuses we want to give it today. I certainly know that those things have cause and effect, but... The reality is the judgments that we see here in the book of Revelation are a direct result of the wrath of God on the sin of mankind. Sin has to be judged, and it will escalate for the final seven years, preparing the landscape and the climate ultimately for the reign of Christ when mortal men will suddenly live longer lives and the world will be changed. Now, to me, that, that sounds and resembles the The if I say that correctly, those of you who are in agriculture probably know how to say that better than I do, but the seratinus cones of the jack pine and the table mountain pine and the lodgepole pine. It's a scientific term, if I I understand correctly, that it's a type of seed that requires an environmental trigger to be released, like a forest fire, for example, and these seeds open and create new life after a natural disaster and, and these calamities that come upon our forests, and God designed them that way. In the same way, God is going to reset order of things on the earth, For the greater good, after this cataclysmic series of events outlined in the book of Revelation, it's all for a purpose. Now again, what I've shared with you is primarily theoretical, based on scriptural text, but it does have some science to support that. I mean, there's a lot of science that supports that the polar axis of the earth shifted. And as a result, the climate changed significantly. I don't believe it did that on its own. I believe that God did that. It probably happened during the time of the flood, and it will probably happen again right before the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And I believe that Satan tries to use all of the means necessary of the innovations of mankind, whatever he's trying to do. Maybe he even gives knowledge to try to uh, help man and use those tools to try to thwart the will of God. And we know that you cannot thwart the will of God. No matter how much Satan tries, no matter how much man may try, we cannot, nor should we even try—of course, as believers, we know why would you want to try—to thwart the will of God. This will occur as God has uh, appointed it to occur. And it's awesome to see what happens as a result after all of this. We're even told that men and women will still have families. They will still bear children. Again, these are not the immortals, but rather the mortals that are on the earth. Isaiah 65, 20, and 23, mortals will still commit sinful acts even. Even though Satan is bound for a thousand years people will still make mistakes. They will still sin, according to Ezekiel 44, 9, and Zechariah 14, 16, and 19, and even still experience death, according to Ezekiel 44, 25. So during this thousand-year reign, as those who have been faithful to the Lord during this lifetime and have received crowns and have been appointed Uh, immortality through Jesus Christ our Lord as a royal priesthood of service unto him will be leading over these people groups, and these people will still have error in their ways and need to be led according to God's word and God's ways and even go up to Jerusalem to worship Jesus Christ. And the sad part that we haven't even gotten to yet is the fact that at the end of all of this, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, after these individuals have lived long and healthy lives under the reign of Christ, seeing him at his face and worshiping him at his feet, It says that there will be a great apostasy at the end. Many will reject him, and they will number the sands of the seashore. They will reject him. I just can't imagine such a thing. We haven't gotten to that part yet. I'm jumping ahead. It breaks my heart to even think about that. But what I do take hope in is the fact of, look how amazing this millennial reign of Jesus Christ is. We haven't even scratched the surface of it all the fact that this, this worship goes on to Jesus Christ and, and his government reigns and all that He has established there. I, I just have so much more to share with you. We're just going to have to cover it again next week. I hope you've been encouraged. Again, this is just scratching the surface on the topic of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And I believe that Jesus is coming soon and we need to be ready as God's people, fervent in prayer, deep in our study, and faithful in our service to Him. And may He find us actively serving when Jesus Christ blows that trumpet, when He calls us unto His presence, when we are to come back with Him in victorious fashion and serve Him faithfully, not only for the thousand years, but for thereafter for all eternity. And may we just celebrate this. Victory is assured, my brothers and sisters. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If you want to learn more about our ministry at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, Go to our website at calvaryfountain.com. Again, that's calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday. We would love to see you there. God bless you.